0: Hello everybody and welcome to Sound A Play Every Wednesday in Sound of Play we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me Leon Cox in Sound of Play 271 is from Kane and Rince, Joshua Garrity. Welcome.
1: Hello there. Welcome back.
0: I think we last did one of these in about March.
1: Is that the last time you were on Josh?
0: Yeah. I was
1: that was that pre uh the world falling to pieces mm, or?
0: around the time that it was yeah. in the offing? Yes, I think we were we were aware of what was coming. Maybe Maybe early lockdown, uh, such as it was, uh, or lockdown one, as we'll soon be referring it, <laughs> referring to it probably. Um, not looking good at the time of recording for uh, the pubs of uh, places like where Josh and I live, London and Brighton, staying open uh, for the next uh, the next little while. Um, this will obviously, hopefully, be a, an ancient historical document at some point. If you're listening to this in the future, who knows at what point of the graph we'll be on as a species by then but enough of this <laughs> <laughs> let's talk video games music i mean music i think uh we've we've heard uh, from a lot of people saying very kind things about um our podcasts and stuff and how important these things have uh you know been to people in what has been you know a stressful time as i keep saying i think even for those of us who have had a relatively easy time of it uh it's been a stressful time so for those who have had extra uh, responsibilities, or, or considerations, or job worries, or whatever else—it's obviously been incredibly tough. And things like entertainment, despite what uh, maybe some members of the UK government think, is kind of important. Art and culture, and yeah. and, and, and music, yeah. which which brings us to where we are today. And yeah, I, I I'm sure everyone who listens to this podcast has been binging on all sorts of favourite music, new and old, to um to remind them that there are. A beautiful simple wonderful things that bring them joy in these times and we've opened the show with an old piece from uh the mid late 90s final fantasy tactics my memory of this was uh a, a f- i mean how i was thinking about this earlier because i knew this was uh your, your your pick for the show how insane is it now that this game didn't get a release in europe
1: yeah i i i it- like uh, chrono triggers in a similar situation right yeah. it was yeah it was only uh released uh years after the fact um it's in it's insane because um i i finished it for the first time this year um, well the um the war of the lions uh version yes. on the psp hmm. um and it was one of those games i had on the device for a long long while and dipped in and out and it just For whatever reason, you know, sometimes you're just not in the mood for something, right? You know it's good, but you're just not in the right mindset. And early this year, I I just was in the right mindset, and it clicked, and it clicked hard. Um, And I I completely devoured it. And that job system is, I feel like it's like a mass, like if you're going to, like, put in the pantheon of mechanics and systems in games. I think Final Fantasy Tactics' job system is, like, right up there. It's just an incredible piece of work. But it's not just that. Uh, It's not just the systems. Um, I think, um, aesthetically, the game is really strong, and it's aged really, really well um, due to a number of choices. Like, first of all, like, I think the art style, going with the 2D sprites is obviously ages the game better than the free it's 3D counterparts in the Final Fantasy mm-hmm. series on that console mm-hmm. um but the the music is really really good and it's not a Nobuo Uematsu special um no. this one is composed by Hitoshi Sakamoto and Masaharu Awata, and um it's just like it does such a good job of evoking the more kind of while still retaining that final fantasy uh, final fantasy flavor right but it does mm. such a good job of evoking the more kind of european medieval fantasy that that game is going for um and the track that i've picked trisection um is one of the the recurring battle themes that um that uh, plays during the game um and like something that i i really love about the music is i 've already mentioned the way it evokes the 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 influence um, that it's taking from european medieval europe but how it kind of like especially in the early game when the conflict is a bit more uh, morally ambiguous like the the kind of cosmic threat that every final fantasy game has to introduce at some point hasn't quite reared its head and the conflict is one of like a class struggle between mm. the kind of working class and and the noble class um of that of of Ivalice. um and i like that it evokes this kind of like yes we we're, we're going to battle but there's some like there's a layer of sadness to this music that i really yeah. like it's like uh it's not really triumphant no. it's just uh it's it's kind of it's got high energy and it's and it's um urgent it, it's yeah. urgent but it doesn't feel like what you're about to do is noble or good in any way. It's just yeah. a battle, um, uh, a battle against. You know, sometimes it's a fight against people that you actually agree with to some degree. Um, so yeah, I love this track and I love this game.
0: Mm, yes, my uh, friend kindly, uh, after a trip to America, brought me a copy back, an ex-rental blockbuster copy, uh, which was uh, such a treat at the time. I had a chipped. PS1 still got it in fact although it's very d- dodgy these days but yeah the um the presentation for this game was was outstanding and yeah. uh yeah just the fact we were at a time where it was like mm, the Europeans probably won't want this Final Fantasy game that has had stellar reviews like uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay sure uh yeah one of the things I remember about it and I think this carries over to the PSP version as well which I which I do have now uh, the if you just leave it on the attract mode, there's about at least, I think, eight FMVs kind of or maybe more explaining all the different. Uh, there's there's some which kind of set up the scene, some cinematics and some which just simply go through all the job classes hmm. worth letting it roll just for that. Uh, but I, I will still as much as I, I like the sort of the, the intricacy and the granularity of the systems in this game, having to learn, having to teach each of your characters how to hold a potion. <laughs> to, um, to 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 allow them to uh, actually you know throw throw things or use things is is a, perhaps a little bit beyond the uh, the level that that I would I would choose
1: yeah it's it's definitely a game that i think uh gets more fun the dp you get in cuz i think the as you say like the early game where it's just like all I can do is slash my sword and uh, I can't even I can't even use this potion. I can't even use this phoenix down because they haven't learned how to use it yet. But yeah. then later on when you have a ninja who goes invisible when anyone hits him and he can <laughs> attack enemies four times in a row, okay, yeah, it was worth it. It was worth all that investment in yeah. the end.
0: Yes, yeah, it's a big old hill to climb in that respect. Now we have something quite uh, jolly and fairy taleish A request from Jobo Bonobo over on the Kano Rinse Forum. Intro story by Yoshito Hirano and Yuka Tsujiyoko is a fantastic summary of Paper Mario Thousand Year Door with its spirit of mystery and adventure. It lets you know that you're going to be going on a more epic journey than usual with Mario and signalled to me that this was going to be a very special game that I was about to play. It's a lovely evocative piece that even now fills me with a childlike sense of wonder. 2004's gamecube only and still gamecube only it's never come out on anything else the second paper mario game we covered the original n64 paper mario in kena Rint's podcast issue number 430 and i think it's fair to say it whetted our appetites for more paper mario in the future where are you with the paper mario series
1: josh I, yeah. I I I am shamefully because I know I'd like them. I haven't mm. played a single one. Uh-huh. Um so I need to I need to get on this train.
0: Yeah, I think I think you'd probably have a good time with it. Obviously the uh you won't get the same level of uh existential and cosmic beyond <laughs> threat that you get from the <laughs> Final Fantasies not in the same way, but uh yeah, they got some some interesting um mechanics and obviously a a good amount of charm. It was quite nice spending uh have 30 hours or whatever it was earlier this year in in the the land of paper mario um know, yeah, while well, the real world was it was a more challenging place next up we got some more final fantasy but uh much more recent and yeah a whole different kind of uh strand of that mighty franchise uh josh and i were actually talking a bit about this uh game and its expansions and and so on josh was giving me a bit of a primer because my my experience with it is absolutely minimal. The MMO, the second MMO, well, or the kind of the third, because the first attempt at 14 didn't go very well. Uh, you've been sinking some time into this, as have other Kane and Rince team members, uh, Rich and Leah, recently. This specifically, the piece you're choosing is from the Heavensward expansion, which is itself now a few years old. yeah. Um, but yeah, well, tell us about your your FF fourteen experience and why you picked this piece of all those many pieces.
1: Yeah, so I mean, some some context. Um, i i think i i just needed an escape this year from everything that's going on and um previously like an mmo type experience would not really be up my street but the idea of like disappearing into a fantasy world when the real world seems horrific just i don't know i don't know why but it seemed really appealing to me Mm -hmm. um but um a lot of a lot of the kind of motivation to to play this is is people on twitter and coworkers um talking about how much they love the expansion content and just saying look realm reborn is what it is like it gets good towards the end but it's just this big massive wall that you have to get through but trust me the stuff after realm reborn is really exceptional um so i push through realm reborn and it did get good towards the end like i think for the most part it's a bit of a snooze and then like the the last third of it and then the patches that they did were really entertaining and fun um heavens ward brings a whole suite of changes one of which is the entire voice cast is replaced. Um, every character that you've come to, mm. and it's a bit jarring at first. Yeah, yeah. every every character that you've come to know through Realm Reborn completely recast. I have to. I don't. I know that for. I know they they changed the voice acting studio that used. I don't know if they actually changed localization team, but the mm. localization is also massively improved as well. Right. Like it feels like they had more time or something. To just really sharpen up the script, the English language script, sure. And then the music, the music for Heaven's Sword as well. Like so, Mashiyoshi Soken has now become the basically the 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 composer for Final Fantasy XIV, um, and and uh, did a has done a stellar job on Heaven's Sword, Stormblood, and um, and uh, Shadowbringers. Mm-hmm. But this piece. Um, in Heaven's Ward, um, against the wind, which plays um, as you journey through the Corfus uh, Western Highlands, which is on the outskirts of a kingdom called Ishgard, um, is particularly beautiful. Um, the The actual motif that plays in this track is a light motif that repeats all the way through the story campaign of um, of uh, Heaven's Ward, um, and Heaven's Ward is about this battle that's taken. Ba- if I'm going to be massively reductive, it's basically the plot of How to Train Your Dragon, <laughs> where it's hum- humans versus dragons, and then eventually they they learn to get along with each other. But it's a really well-executed um, kind of take on that story. Um, and the Corphus Western Highlands is the site of just... Hundreds and hundreds of battles that have taken place between Ishgard and the the dragon race, um, and um, you go across as you fly. If you've got your dragon steed or your Pegasus or your chocobo, you as you fly across the the uh, the snowy landscape of Corphus, you'll just see all these abandoned weapons, these. Uh, battleships that are frozen in the ice lake. Um, There's just like graveyards filled with um, Ishgardian soldiers. And then if you go even further, you'll see frozen dead bodies of dragons that have fallen in previous Mm -hmm. battles. Um, And this track just does such a good job of communicating that waste and just the sadness of like, this battle has been going on for s- generations and there's no point to it like nobody remembers why anyone anyone hates each other like the, the both sides have lost too much to concede like the, the there are instigators on both the human side and the dragon side like um but there is also peacekeepers who are fruitlessly trying to trying to bridge that gap and not having any luck because Nobody wants to make peace. Um, and there's just like this, like my favorite bits of music, I think that they're always twinged with a little bit of sadness. And I think this track, the way it matches the, the environment and matches the environmental storytelling in this area is really, really effective. And it was the moment when I was playing Final Fantasy XIV, when I went into this area, it was like, okay, I get it like i understand why people love this game now um and if it continues on this uh, trajectory i can see myself putting some serious time into it and i have um it's it Mm. was a hint of what was to come and um yeah yeah it's a really good track
0: Against the wind,
1: the curth is it Kurth, corth, curthus. Uh, two characters pronounce it two different ways. So <laughs> exactly. I, I go with corthus.
0: But okay, yeah. the corthus Western Highlands by Masayoshi Soken from the Heavensward expansion from Final Fantasy XIV. I was going to ask you, what's the is the soundtrack of the initial game, The Realm Reborn, also. Did it? Did it also kind of just pass you by, or are there <laughs> it's, it,
1: it's it's very in keeping with the experience of playing it, in that <laughs> yeah. it is intensely boring and forgettable. But yeah, oh, oh, well. yeah.
0: What are you gonna yeah. do? Yeah, uh, but yeah, Somehow they they uh, yeah. phoenix like salvaged something worthwhile from the initial uh, semi catastrophe that was the first um, the first iteration of Final yeah. Fantasy XIV. Now I picked this next one because well it was on our list of requests from the community it's been kicking around a while but suddenly it's uh, it's gained some contemporary relevance from Nick Turner 13 from the forum who says as far as i can tell this was written specifically for the Crusader Kings 2 soundtrack and then i discovered it recently through playing City Skylines on the in-game radio which just seems to play songs from other paradox games love everything about this track from the main vocal melody to the background choir effect Maybe it's almost cutting a fine line between Nickelback and Cool, but I like to think it's on the side of the latter.
2: We used to be fire, now we're cold as a storm. the so-
0: was Our Kingdom Will Fall by Andreas Valdatoft from the second Crusader Kings game, which is now, I think it was 2012. Uh, and we've just seen the release of the most recent one. Now, the most recent one, I can't really speak about it because I've literally only started having a look at the tutorial. But it caught my attention as much as anything because it's been one of the, the best reviewed games of, of the year. It's extremely deep and complicated and intimidating, but it is on game Pass, so I have installed it to my p c uh with a view to um you know probably never getting around to playing it properly but it's a it's a kind of endless game, and my my interest was piqued by tales of of just yeah the most kind of brutal and gnarly kind of medieval historical goings on behind the throne with incest and 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 um cannibalism and religious zealots and cultism and all this stuff and effectively you can kind of you just you start out as any kind of ruler of any area you want in this in this uh historical realm and you basically you keep on playing as long as you've got an heir of some kind so As long as you keep getting people up the duff somehow, (laughs) the game continues. I mean it's pretty it's probably pretty messed up. I think it certainly can be. But then these times were. I mean, and they still are in different ways. But uh it's definitely definitely captured my imagination, if not my time so far. Obviously it's a bit of a, a kind of a sideways or or diagonal step away from the likes of Japanese turn based strategy games, but have you have you caught any wind of there's been a lot of articles and stuff around Crusader Kings 3 because yeah. I think it's it's um it, i think it's one of those things that if you do delve into it like civilization maybe but but more so you can really kind of lose yourself into it
1: yeah i it's 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 one of those series where i've paid really close attention to it because it's it's definitely on the periphery of things that i'm interested in like i really love um, real-time strategy games and turn-based strategy games like xcom and and civilization but it's always just looked so intimidating <laughs> yeah, and I terrifying yeah. um and and it's a it's a shame because like um like you said like i'm i'm into that kind of like kind of people focused um approach to strategy like the the mm. idea that mm it's more than just filling up bars and and um and you know having the perfect army and all of that stuff yeah. it is actually dependent on your relationships and and people having sex like to be yeah. blunt about it like yeah. like kingdoms rise and fall because somebody yeah. didn't get you know didn't get pregnant um yeah. and it's and it's terrifying to think that the world was like that at some point yeah. but it's fascinating
0: Yeah, uh, really interesting. Anyway, yes, for those who do have um, Game Pass and a PC, uh, I think, yeah, you need either the specific Game Pass or the ultimate Game Pass that covers all bases. Um, But yeah, you could check it out. And yeah, there's been a load of really interesting articles. Like I've got an article shortcut here uh, from PC Games N, which is Crusader Kings 3 succession laws. How do they work? (laughs) It's just an article (laughs) devoted to one kind of important strand of of that entire gaming experience uh, whether i'll ever get get time to Im- invest but yeah i love that it, it's funny uh, obviously um i know you'll understand this even as somebody who doesn't uh isn't remotely interested in the world of uh, professional sport but football manager totally anyone who listen to our podcast on that is it's completely about the people like it's yeah. so much not about the tactics obviously relevant and the score lines but as much as anything it's the the relationships you form with the individual players and and managers and chairmen and things like this, and they've they've over the years they've uh, Sports Interactive have massively doubled down, quadrupled down on that stuff because as much as you know a, a sports fan can get really into the numbers, it can be a bit dry without that stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it reminds me a bit of the old uh, remembering the earliest days of playing the original XCOM uh ufo you know uh enemy unknown the original and and just the fact that you got to name your soldiers you know um meant that uh meant that every every death mattered kind of thing uh, and in this case it's uh every assassination and every uh dubious relationship game of thrones style anyway hope you enjoyed that tune from crusader kings 2 Next up, this is a game that I'm impressed that you've sought out and, and played. It's one that I've always been interested in. And if we ever do cover the entire 2D Castlevania series or even the entire Castlevania series, Massive Tall Order, I know, is one of the ones that I'd be really interested to play. Never saw a copy in the wild, I don't think. Order of Ecclesia. Did you actually did you play this on emulation or did you actually go to the, the, the murky world of eBay?
1: I, I lucked out. And and saw it at a reasonable price on eBay, and when I say reasonable, I yeah. mean like the cost of a full price game. Sure, because um, it can go for like a hundred quid or hundred twenty quid. I've seen yeah. it in the past. Um, yeah, I um, as anyone who's been a long term listener to Ken Rince will probably know. I I really love. Um, uh, the Castlevania series, I mean, more specifically, the kind of Igaraki uh, era, um, so post-Symphony of the Night. Um, yeah. I also really love Aria of Sorrow. Um, I think as my heart is with Symphony of the Night. I always love that the most. But in some ways, I think Aria of Sorrow is maybe a more polished and perfected Tighter, version yeah. mm-hmm. of Symphony of the Night. Dawn of Sorrow is also really great. Um, Yeah, I agree. I love that game. Yeah. um, Suffers, I think it suffers a little bit from trying to. Put in some DS, DS control yeah. stuff in there, <laughs> Touch but touchscreen stuff. Yeah, it's not too. It's not too horrific. No. Um, and then um, I, I've dabbled with Portrait of Ruin. Um, I haven't got far. My understanding is that's not quite as well loved as the other two. I don't but, believe um, so. No.
3: Um,
1: what I've played was fun. But Order of Ecclesia, um, I devoured um, earlier this year, um, and I really would kind of like put it on a level. Um, maybe not in terms of like historical importance, but just in terms of like quality, put it on a level mm. with something like Symphony of the Night. Um, just because it dares to be a little bit different, it dares to kind of play with that formula. I feel like Aria of Sorrow and Dawn of Sorrow are like, you know, they're they're taking the Symphony of the Night formula and polishing it and perfecting it. This is like okay. What have we not done in ages? Let's actually have like some of the more difficult encounter design and boss design of the older Castlevanias yeah. and combine it with the, the RPG systems of Symphony of the Night. Um, the structure's very different, so it's not like a big, you know, it's not that onion design of of Metroidvania's where you're mm. peeling back layers. There are discrete worlds that you go into, um, but the the the, the compare even though it's 2D the thing that it most reminded me of is actually demon souls when you compare huh. it to dark souls where right. dark souls is this big onion that you peel back demon souls are these series of smaller worlds that had just so intricate and well designed um and every every level you go into in order of ecclesia feels like it's so considered so to, like well tuned like it feels mm. like um and it's way more difficult than symphony of Night or I or any that. of the other yeah. ds games
0: can you grind your way out of the difficulty in the way that to, you could in those
1: to a degree um you never it never gets to the point like with symphony of Night, you could get silly right you could yep. get to the point where you're basically you hold up a shield and a boss dies instantly <laughs> um but it never gets to that point you do have to learn the patterns you have to learn the the strategy um but um uh, you can you can give yourself some advantages um but anyway is... for
0: error is the thing that i need in games generally like <laughs> yeah. this is why Sekiro scares me so much because that's exactly what i understand you don't have uh, yeah. whereas yeah. i am okay i'm okay with taking hits and damage from bosses but not being kind of killed outright after two sort of mistimed or misread moves is is something that I'd enjoy so that that could actually I think that could that could work well
1: yeah yeah and the other thing that's great about it is the music the soundtrack yeah yeah
0: always been a, a massively important part of the castlevania uh, experience going all the way back to the original NES game like from the opening from the first level of that game the music's like yes this is front and center of this action adventure gothic horror experience
1: so I picked um, jaws of the scorched earth um and I'm really just picking it to represent um the whole soundtrack uh, yeah. I think it's one of those ones where it really is wall to wall like really really great music um I picked this one though cuz I feel like it really represents the variety um it's not all just like heavy rock or um big sweeping orchestral stuff mm. Sometimes it can be, um, uh, I don't know, just like a little bit more cheeky and creative, Like, um, and I think this is a great example of that. Um, and, yeah, and I think it really fits this particular piece, the Jaws of the Skirt stuff. I think it really fits the kind of rhythm of this area. It's not too uh, frantic. It's not too scary. It's a bit more... Um, considered and slower in pace than some of the the more the earlier areas in the game.
0: This then is Jaws of a Scorched Earth by Michiru Yamané and possibly Yasuhiro Ichihashi. castlevania order of ecclesia 2008 on the ds i still dream we still get flickers of life from konami they've recently released some stuff on good old games some metal gear solid and some vintage contra and castlevania we had the collections from m2 a compilation downloadable compilation to the current current gen whatever that is now uh systems of the handheld games by handled by m2 as they did with the retro compilation of castlevania's last year, I think it was of the year before, would be a dream. There would be some issues possibly with those DS features, but I think they could, I think M2, uh, I would trust them to do a workaround. It's just whether Konami think there's anything in doing that, um, it would save hunting down overly priced second-hand <laughs> yeah. copies, Yeah, at least. Now we have some more medieval style intrigue and fantasy and dragons. This is a request from Mauricio M.M., who says, Can't get any more immersed in the fictional land of Olay's. Is it Olay? Olay? I think it's Olay. Olay. Than this. This is probably the most outstanding track in the whole OST for me, mostly because of its Baroque-esque sound thematically accurate for a large part of the game's setting. What are we talking about? It's Dragon Age Inquisition. We covered the original Dragon Age origins and its mighty bit of... DLC which was also a standalone if i recall awakening uh Kane rinse issue 149 many years ago now we've never we've never covered the second game let alone the third uh it probably gets slightly less appealing each time, each year time goes on um the second i know has a lot of uh, a lot of issues with reused assets and so on and it was a bit of a rush job effectively uh but i would still be curious to play it now the third one is a really interesting case, I think. I've never touched it myself. I know that you played it, Josh. Mm. Um, at the time, it was quite well regarded, and since then, it's been—you can buy it for normally about three quid in digital sales and stuff. There doesn't seem to be an enormous amount of passion for it. I'm sure there's a hardcore, but. Um, what's what's the deal with inquisition
1: <laughs> i think what the cuz i i enjoyed it at launch as well um i think there are certainly things about it that in retrospect i'm not as in love with i think some of the side quests are a little bit like kill 5 boars that kind of thing right um and it and i don't think i think the thing that it really suffers from is that the witcher 3 landed literally yeah. like a month uh not not a month six months um after it came out i hear that a lot yeah um and it just immediately did everything that this game did at least in my mind um a mm. lot better mm-hmm. um and yeah and i i you know i still recommend it but I, i'm not recommending it over the witcher 3 yeah, yeah that's an issue uh so it-
0: at the time of recording this uh the is it Baldur's Gate 3 um yes is it like an open beta or something you can pay for it and yeah. it's not quite finished but you can start something like that
1: it's early access yeah so this yeah. is um this is developed by Larian um mm. who did uh, both Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2 I played the beginning of the first one but didn't really get on with it. Yeah, But I completely smashed the uh, second yes. one in co-op with, um, with my girlfriend Kat, and uh, I'm really excited um, yeah, for their so take the, on this.
0: It sounds like they've, obviously, with, with the Divinity games, as I understand it, again, in my library, unplayed, they took the spirit of the old Bioware CRPGs and modernised them and it sounds like with Baldur's Gate 3 it maybe it's like doing that but you know again just bringing the spirit of the old bioware to a more modern CRPG game engine
1: yeah i think the the thing that um that divinity original sin 2 did that um i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing the evolution of in Baldur's Gate 3 is just make combat in those games like, the the thing that I was enjoying. Because right. previously when I've tried stuff like Baldur's Gate and Planescape Torment and all of those games, mm. like, I'm engaged with the narrative and then the combat just kind of happens and like I just get through it. Yeah. With this, it's like, yes, okay, another battle. Like, mm. And it has that kind of xcom level of like oh mm. i can tweak this i can tweak that and if i set them up here i can do this um and um yeah it's just really exciting for that element of these kind of games suddenly to come to the fore for me
0: hopefully ea won't buy that
1: studio yeah, hopefully <laughs> so let's enjoy
0: when uh, bioware was still bioware to an extent and theme uh the theme from orlay by trevor morris from 2014 that was it was even on the PS3 and the 360 that's how long ago Dragon Age Inquisition came out a long awaited sequel next i'm glad you picked this one i've only uh, this is the only music i've really heard from this game so far <laughs> <laughs> uh so uh i eric uh, surka got um got the got the call again for uh, for Derek Yu's long awaited follow up to spelunky uh, and I don't know how far you've got so far Josh but I'm I'm going to suggest that most people who have played this game I know there's already like people who have completed this entire game in in 3 minutes or whatever but most normal humans are going to hear this uh, this this uh, piece of music for the first set of levels quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I I've only got as far as world 2 so right. far. Um I mean partly it's because um and we'll talk about this in a bit, Um, Hades kind of really grabbed me Mm -hmm. um, unexpectedly, and um, that's like I've I've cleared that game 11 times now. Wow. I went I went from I went from uh thinking there's no way. There's no way I'm getting past uh, Elysium. Elysium's too tough. Yeah, that's and where now. I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. Um it just we'll come like, back to that. <laughs> yeah. We'll come back to that. But um it distracted me from um Splunky 2 for a bit. But also I don't know about you. <laughs> World 1 of Spelunky 2 is a lot harder than World 1 of Spelunky.
0: I feel that way too. I thought maybe it was just me, but it's particularly, like there's two new enemy types, which are both, mm, I mean, famously the thing about Spelunky is, and I I understand it has its detractors, both some people uh, like Amikil doesn't like procedurally designed levels. He wants entirely hand curated levels. I know Carl doesn't like Spelunky because he basically calls it like a, 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 a poor man's Rick, dangerous or whatever, which he, you know, he does to to annoy people. I get it's not for everyone, but anyone who really does get into Splunky, and I speak as somebody who's still never quite managed to dump the big statue head from the the final level into the uh, into the lava. I've played it a lot. Uh, it's a science. It's like a it's like a, a, a it's a, it's a passing of information more than it is a game of skill almost. Yeah. It's understanding the mechanics on a really deep Matrix-y kind of level. And so playing Spelunky 2 after years of Spelunky 1, throwing a couple of new enemy types at you in the first level feels really harsh. Um, the two enemies I'm thinking about, Josh, are the the kind of the mole-like one, rat, yeah. mole rat or whatever it is, that comes up from beneath the surface now, it, it yeah. gives you plenty of warning. It's not just a random thing. It's got, you know, there's, it's got that Mario type thing of the, you know, it's got the, the burrowing animations before they pop up. And then there's the horned lizard as well, which barrels about the place merrily, spiking all and sundry. And yeah, uh, so, yes, I haven't even seen World 2 yet. I haven't played <laughs> it tons, but, um, but fortunately, the tune that you get to enjoy is a, is a bit of a banger
1: yeah i i so spelunky the first one is uh really important to me like i it's a really like it's one of my absolute favorites Mm. and hearing this music start up when i started spelunky 2 i'm not ashamed to admit it made me a little bit emotional because it was like i was so like you know i love this world and i love this art design and i love everything about spelunky so to just be greeted with this is like it felt like welcome home you're back you're Mm. you're back and then you know immediately um uh, spelunky 2 shows you it's nasty side um (laughs) but it, it, it it this this track feels like a warm blanket being wrapped around you um and i like how um so you won't hear this in in um this uh, this version of the track but in game i like how they vary this track up yeah. um depending on what's going on um so there's like a boss type character at the end of world 1 where um the kind of melody of this track just kind of bleeds away and it just leaves the percussion oh, and i love the I'm drama scared. <laughs> it's it is scary, um, and I love I love the drama of doing stuff like that. I'm really into uh, dynamic soundtracks and how mm. that's become really in vogue with indie games recently. Um, and yeah, I just yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal piece. And as you say, Leon, it's a track that I've heard a load of times now, but I'm not bored of it, which I think speaks it speaks to the quality of it.
0: was Dwelling by Eric Schurker from Spelunky 2 this year's long awaited as I say sequel to Spelunky but uh, I'd always rather wait an, an extra few years for a sequel of quality than have something churned out I think there's a, probably a lot more going on in Spelunky 2 than maybe it first appears in terms of changes and, and it, it sounds like just from little bits I've read with Derek Yu that they've thought about you know how to make the fundamental Spelunky experience you know sort of deeper still uh, and there's even more secrets and things to discover. Even the, the first one was absolutely stuffed with kind of joy of Easter eggs and things like that, and, and extra extra content. Uh, we discussed Spelunky. I wasn't involved because I can't beat the thing back in Cana Rince, issue 160. That piece also that you picked uh, called Dwelling reminds me very much of a piece from Super Mario Odyssey, I think it is. You can see that, yeah. It's... um. It's one of the deserty sort of areas. It has a real similar sort of instrument palette, anyway. But yeah. So yeah, if Spelunky, now I think I understand the the delineation and the distinction. Spelunky is a rogue-like platformer because you always start with exactly the same stuff as you had last time and with no extra abilities. Whereas Hades is a rogue-lite because you've powered up from your last run, or you should have done, or you, yeah. you're likely to have done. So, yeah, uh, I know Josh and I have both been playing this, as we've already mentioned. This request is from John Cheetham, who says I have to share with people who aren't playing this game, which they should, the majesty that is its soundtrack. It's quite long and nearly seven minutes, but I think the effortlessly cool the painful way gives a good impression of this game's sound, which brilliantly pairs with its lavish hand-drawn visuals. Not to mention hearing the song whenever I start another attempt to escape Daddy Hades' realm is incredibly exciting. I've heard this one a lot as well, and you were talking about the way it uh, kind of uh, dynamically changes in Spelunky. This one also uh, mm. does that. Um, it uh, rises and falls as the encounters happen. It Star- always starts off with the same kind of just, yeah, just sort of light tapping percussion, which kind of implies that there's another, another run about to uh, kick off and before you know it with Hades, like the first couple of rooms can be pretty gentle, but then a few rooms in, obviously, yes, as you progress through the game and and your uh Zagreus gets more powerful, the earlier rooms become easier and easier each time, but uh it's never that long before you're fighting your way through massive hordes of enemies, there's even some rooms i'm I'm playing the switch version and uh the frame rate is uh, is occasionally a little bit compromised on some of the busiest rooms but it's it's not a big deal but yeah i've i don't know about you josh but i just well clearly you mentioned how many times you've beaten it um, yeah this game's loop and set of hooks are pretty uh ingrained in me already
1: yeah it's it's almost like they spent two years in <laughs> early access like slowly right. slowly polishing it to a mirror shot like i, I yeah I think it's incredible. Um I uh I I think like just to speak about like Darren Corb's work on this, oh, yeah, like yeah. um ha, like Supergiant have really lucked out getting him like on staff, like as a permanent composer mm-hmm. for their games. And I think I think their games really benefit from having him there on a permanent basis and not just being a freelancer because of how Music is just injected into every corner of this game so there's the 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 you know the battle themes like um the painful way um or the incident you know the incidental version of it whatever um but then there's this the kind of the story stuff that they're kind of famous for with with bastion and transistor and in this game with um with uh, uh and um oh, why have I blanked on his name? There's
0: a lot of gods to remember. To be fair, uh, so Orpheus, oh, Orpheus, Orpheus and mm-hmm. Um
1: Yeah, just that those two's uh, dynamic with the the song that they play together. Um, yeah, it's just uh, it's an incredible piece of work. Um, yeah,
0: and Gen Z's are again absolutely yeah. stellar. Uh, yeah, what a team! I I kind of uh, I I ended up while I was uh, you know getting the clips together and thinking about what shows we'd done i consider myself even though i i I loved their first game and i really loved this one and i was slightly cooler on transistor but i think maybe i need to revisit that and i haven't even played pyre despite those caveats i think supergiant are one of my favorite studios like they're all the same people that started it's the same core team of people that Began. um It's uh, uh, I Amir. Mean, uh, I've forgotten his name. the The main guy left EA essentially after working on some, you know, games that he wasn't particularly happy with, and uh, and the other the technical director guy as well also worked on you know some command and conquer and stuff in there. So they they basically they just you know brushed off their big studio experience for you know, and I'm sure some of it was incredibly valuable, and got this core team of people they all i think they all pretty much knew each other already they were like um you know friends as children and stuff like this and darren corb knew ashley barrett from way back and and so yeah and they've they've stuck with this although gen z's art is not she she deliberately mixes up the style to an extent between games it's recognizably her um but with that and with the audio always being you know from the same Uh, composer uh, again albeit with an enormous amount of range there's this real through line of aesthetic and tone and feel uh, throughout throughout all the games and yeah i stumbled across this um, concert video last night which was from pax last year 2019 so there's a room full of people and it's (laughs) it's it's all those nice nice things that we used to do and it's like an hour-long concert of songs from the first four games uh mainly focusing on the vocal ones but it's with a, a small orchestra as well so rather than the although Corb has his guitar there as uh, there's a lot of the instrumentation is changed from the more electronic and and rock heavy stuff into uh orchestration Austin Wintry is there as the com- as the conductor and the 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 sort of the overseer of the orchestration of it and uh and you know he's full of praise for Darren Corb as well so yeah let's enjoy and celebrate Darren Corb and Supergiant and this absolute cracker from the Hades game, the new one, it's called The Painful Way. Available now on pc and switch i think there's talk that it will come to playstation and xbox further down the line i would imagine given that it's on switch they'll release it so that it works on last gen xbox one and ps4 as well as uh, as well as series s and x and ps5 we're at that complicated time where we have to think about umpteen consoles at once uh but yes uh, i can't recommend that game enough uh unfortunately my switch is in hospital currently um i feel bereft it's uh it's not it's for the first time in over three years my switch is not to hand there's an empty dock and i packed it up in a little box it felt like a coffin and um (laughs) it's just got a screen defect um so hopefully it'll be back soon and it won't cost me the price of a new switch but um yeah, it's, uh it's that thing of, you know, sending because especially because Nintendo has this thing where it ties so much of your digital existence to the specific machine that you have, even though, you know, yes, we've got some cloud saves and, and Nintendo IDs and stuff. Now, I've, I'm worried about what I might lose if I actually end up with a different machine. So, um, yes, uh, happy trails, Switch. Come back soon. We covered Bastion way back when in Kena Rint's podcast issue 10 and Transistor in issue 183. Maybe we'll do Pyre someday. Uh, it seems like that's their kind of unsung classic from the people who played it. Like, they seem to all love it, but just not many people kind of... I think it. he jokes actually on stage on that video, on that concert I was talking about, Darren Corb saying, you know, it's from the overcrowded genre of, um, what was it, the... Uh, fantasy basketball plus reading visual novel visual novel (laughs) (laughs) yes um a bit of a hard sell that one but actually if you if you if you give it a whirl it seems like for a lot of people it does work uh so been another fun sound of play podcast thanks josh for joining me as always
1: thank you for having me
0: and our community requesters thank you for another fantastic selection of selections and did i say selection of selections Uh, thank you the listener for listening thank you to editor Jay of course without whom this show doesn't exist keep those requests coming in over at the forum or via social media if you want and Josh uh, is of course responsible for the final pick of this show and this was one we've done a special on this series of games and we've also played a number of other tracks from the near canon oeuvre but you were surprised to find that we hadn't played this one before
1: yeah. Um really surprised cause uh it, it's it's a real highlight from the, the soundtrack of uh, Near uh, Near Automata or Automata. Uh I'm gonna say it both ways. Oops. Um yeah, so this is the track um a beautiful song, um, that plays during the Simone uh boss fight in the game. Um Simone is a robot, one of the alien robots who has become obsessed with beauty um partly due to a pretty one-way relationship with a another robot character called Jean paul um, and uh it sh- basically she becomes obsessed with with beauty the, to the point of uh, it causing her uh, re- real problems um uh, and the track that plays during this boss fight, um really conveys the anguish of this character um and it 's not just how good the music is that makes this this boss fight so memorable it 's how the action coordinates with the music it feels like her attacks feels like the beats the kind of phases of the fight match up with the the kind of um the 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 music that 's playing as well um I think it's a really really fantastic piece.
0: Powerful stuff indeed from Keichi Okabe, Keigo Hayashi and with a vocal by Emmy Evans. She's been utilised for yeah many of these vocals and yes, I've seen she's doing some other uh, RPGs and, and stuff like that. So listen out for her. And yes, this is from Near Automata, which we covered in Kana Rintz issue 356. And well, that's it for this Sound of Play. We'll leave you with a beautiful song and we'll see you next time on Sound of Play.